Hey there, Habs fans, Habs maniacs, Habs lunatics out there in Habs land. Welcome to the latest episode of What the Fuck is Wrong with the Habs? A podcast series that will hopefully try to examine, illuminate, and potentially identify some of the key reasons why the Montreal Canadiens, the most storied franchise in hockey, have been a dumpster fire of an organization for the past 26 years. So sit back, do whatever you do to uh, get a little bit uh, relaxed, and I'll be back in a few seconds with What the Fuck is Wrong with the Habs? date is Monday, February 24th, 2020. Time of recording this is 11.41 p.m. It's been about five hours, a little bit more than five hours since uh, the NHL trade deadline came and passed. And uh, Mark Bergevin, I'm going to try to uh, keep this podcast on the, on, the, on the chill side, you know, the the calm and relaxed side, but I might lose my cool once or twice during this podcast, or just prepare for maybe you might have to lower the volume a little bit. So the trade deadline came and went, and naturally it's become a, a yearly uh, occurrence in Montreal. Mark Bergevin, our general manager, uh, Fancy Pants, uh, TRT Arms, Briggy Bin, that guy. He arguably, I shouldn't say arguably, he most definitely had the most embarrassing day that I have ever witnessed for a general manager in Montreal. Today, I, I was thinking about what to call this podcast, what should I label it, what title should I give it, I was thinking. And I think something came to me a little, maybe like 20 minutes ago. And I kind of realized that after looking at Twitter and, and kind of, going through the different opinions and the, and the different reactions to uh, what the Montreal Canadiens did this day. And I'll, 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 I'll explain what the Montreal Canadiens did this day later on. And I, as I was going through Twitter, I was, I was kind of gauging that there's something happening today. Something happened today. Something, something that, didn't, that wasn't there last year. There was an energy in the air uh, this specific Monday, this specific trade deadline that's never been there before in this city. I've never felt it before. I mean, I felt it personally because I knew kind of things were going off the deep end a couple of years ago. You just saw the pattern. You saw the way he dealt with things, how he reacted to things, the kind of where he focused his time. And you kind of realize, you know, you put two and two together, it's not that complicated. So I always kind of had that little feeling in my stomach, but today I got the sense that a big chunk of the Montreal fan base even, I'm not going to say the diehard fanboys, because the diehard fanboys really don't care about nothing besides whatever the, the team does, or whatever, whatever is attached to the Montreal Canadiens. If it's a mascot, if it's a thing, it's the best thing in the world. Those people, I don't even bother with them, but every, every sports franchise needs those people. They, they feed the, the fan base. They kind of, you know, they're the filler of the fan base, and you need that. You know, they buy tickets, they buy merchandise. Every organization needs that stuff. I was, I'm, I'm more referring to the people that were that were supporter supporters of Bergevin, but they were kind of on the sidelines. They were more not 
not exactly 1000% sure about things, but they still kind of saw that, you know, yeah, yeah, I think he's doing okay then. I think we're kind of getting there, you know, slowly. Those kind of people. And what I realized today is those kind of people have completely dropped off the, you know, the bandwagon. Yeah, yeah, they're breaking ankles left and right. So, uh, which in a way is a nice thing to see that finally there's more of a of an upswell of it's not just a handful of people that are being called haters there's more people kind of realizing hey, hey what the hell is going on here what is going on here and another part that i realized today is uh, a big chunk of the media completely changed their tune today the whole whistling down the street singing a mark bergerman song that uh, came to an end tonight Many people now, everything that happens from now on, they have a much different perspective, which is good. Very, very positive thing. So, as I was thinking what to call this, what, what should I label this podcast? I wasn't even planning to do a podcast today. I was just going to let things play out and uh, wait till like the season's end and maybe give my kind of recap of uh, the season ending press conference and the whole season as a, as a capsule. But after today, I got a sense of, oh, something's happened today. Something, the, the door has opened. You know, this, the vaults have been, uh, you know, have been uh, uncaged. And, uh, and people are kind of realizing, ooh, that's a foul smell. What the hell is that? Yeah, you know what that is? That's all the bullshit that's been coming from the Bell Center. That's what, that's what happened today. All that bullshit for the last three, four years, it's piled up. It's piled up and it's piled up and and standing on top of it was Mark Bergman today. And no matter what he said, you know what people people sensed? Yeah, they got a sense of that bullshit. That smell kept on coming through. Like, what the hell is that? That's a powerful smell. What is that? That's bullshit. That's what happens when you feed bullshit. When you pile bullshit on top of bullshit. Eventually you get to the point where you have nothing to defend. You can't you can't look and cherry pick and and point to things and look the the, the trend is better there there's enough there's nothing to defend after a while so you're left standing on a pile of your own bullshit and that's what happened today Mark Bergman he was he was there he was exposed on the mountain of bullcrap I'll change the word BS it was just it, and in a way it was kind of frightening to see because there was so much kind of psychological things happening there that was kind of worrisome but in, so in a way it was kind of a little bit weary, kind of frightening and in a way it was just wonderful it was wonderful just to see that the the what's it called the the curtain has been opened you know and people kind of okay not everybody's seeing the what's behind the curtain yet but a lot of people that weren't seeing it before are seeing it today and in a way, hopefully, knock on wood, I'll knock on my table again here, knock on wood, Mark, uh, Jeff Molson kind of, I don't know what the hell is going on with that guy. I, I, you can't get a sense of that guy because no matter what happens, he's one of those guys where, you know, it's like, dude, there's a whole bunch of people at the door. They're trying to break in. And he just doesn't care. He's just like, ah, whatever. It's all good. Don't worry about it. Dude, what's going on? So, I'm going to come back in about a couple of seconds. And recap this and uh, some more thoughts. (music) 
So when I was thinking about what to title this, what to label it, I kind of realized that today might have signified a tipping point for the Montreal Canadiens organization under Jeff Molson and most certainly under Mark Bergevin's reign as general manager. I'm not saying that tomorrow is going to be uh, some sort of rainbow on the horizon and uh, news on the, in the Twitter sphere about people being fired the headquarters of Bell Center. I'm not saying that's going to happen. But what, what most certainly happened is a big chunk of the Montreal fan base has realized that we're being, we're being steered by a conductor that has almost no idea what's going on. By, by, by a, a driver that's been going down the same road for so long, trying to figure out if it's the right way to go down, that he doesn't know any other way to go down, doesn't know, doesn't know how to turn, doesn't know how to pull away and start all over. Most definitely doesn't have uh, Google Maps to help him out. So he's kind of stuck in this journey of his, trying to take a team that could barely make the playoffs and convincing people that the exact same team uh, will have a better chance to make the playoffs next year. So today might have signified a tipping point for the Montreal Canadiens organization, most definitely for the fan base, I think. Trade deadline, in essence, started last night for the Habs. When they traded uh, when they traded Kovalchuk. Now the Kovalchuk thing became another kind of PR mess that Bergman got stuck in. And during the presser, he tried to kind of walk his way out of it, and it sounded more ridiculous the more he st- the more he was talking. The Canadians traded uh, Kovalchuk to the Capitals for a third round pick. On the face of it, eh, you go, okay, you know, they got the guy off the waivers. He was literally sitting at home uh, waiting for somebody to call, doing nothing. So they didn't pay much for him to come and play in Montreal. I don't remember what the, the actual numbers were. It was, it was a very low, low number. So they traded him to, to Washington for a third. So they go, ah, okay, whatever, third. But Montreal had to retain salary to trade him to Washington for a third. And that third pick, uh, don't forget, it's a Washington Capitals pick. Washington's probably going to finish top four, top five teams in the league this year. So in essence, you're getting a fourth round pick. So you traded him to Washington for a fourth round pick, and you had to pay some money to get Washington to give you that fourth round pick. When the trade happened last night, First thing I noticed were a couple of media guys automatically were doing that social media thing, that social not social media that uh, that uh, what's it called when uh, I don't even know what the hell it's called, like a social uh, you know happy feel good kind of storyteller of the of things that happen within the organization kind of thing. I'm not gonna name names, but it's always the same clowns. And it was always like, oh, the Montreal Canadians are doing such a nice thing for Kovalchuk and. Kovalchuk is doing such a nice thing for the Canadians by letting people know that it's nice to come to Montreal and play. And and, and Bergevin uh, helped Kovalchuk out by uh, by helping him get to Washington to play with his uh, with his uh, I don't know if they grew up together with his uh, you know with his uh, comrade there Alex uh, Ovechkin, legend. And you're listening to this nonsense. You're like, what the hell is this? 
The guy, the guy played here for two months. Why the fuck is a general manager going out of his way to make this guy feel good and feel bad and, you know, get him in the city where he wants? What, what, what are you talking about? Two months ago, the guy was literally sitting in Los Angeles waiting for somebody to call. When did it become the job of the general manager to uh, to placate uh, hockey players who literally had a cup of coffee in Montreal? When did that become a thing? And then you, the more you, you listen to it, the more you realize that it's just nonsense. It's just it's just more PR bullshit. Because the truth is, if he would have traded him a month ago, he would have gotten much higher than a fucking late third rounder. So instead of the media saying, you know, well, Mark Bergen, it looked like he maybe he waited a little bit too long and uh, to get rid of Kovalchuk, but at least we got something for him. Instead of saying the honest thing about it, they take this, uh, you know, I'm still looking for the word I'm looking for. I don't know what the word, what word I'm looking for. Some sort of, you know, person that, you know, I don't know, organizes parties or something. I don't know. Helps, you know, get people some. I have no idea what I'm looking for. But it's most definitely not a GM in hockey. That's not his fucking job. And then, then you have people on Twitter saying, well, maybe he's uh, he's laying out the groundwork, you know, the carpet, so Kovalchuk can come back next year. And I'm thinking to myself, what the hell is people talking about? He's 36 years old. You brought him here to help your team. And your team's 24th overall in the league. You're at the point now where you have to get rid of him for something. Or you lose him for nothing. So that kind of thing started off the whole trade deadline, you know, I don't know, event for the Montreal Canadiens. That 24-hour, 36-hour period where a lot of things happened. So that was last night. I didn't think about it much. I go, okay, whatever. Late third rounder, we'll add it to the bin of third rounders. Wake up tomorrow, wake up the day after, which is today. Actually, it was yesterday because it just turned 12 o'clock. So I wake up on Monday, and I don't remember what time it was, about 9.30, 10 or so. And I uh, I put it on TSN 690 to see maybe if something happened. And Tony Marinaro was there, and I don't remember who he was talking about, who he was talking to. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't know who it was, but they were having the same kind of conversation. About how nice that uh, Kovalchuk feels good, and he's gonna say nice things about what you are to the free agent. I mean, what the fuck is this? What the hell is this garbage? Instead of you know saying the other thing, you know, well maybe he waited a little bit too long to get rid of it, get rid of Kovalchuk, so we probably lost a second there, because uh, when Kovalchuk was the talk of the town for when he had that week and a half of hotness, you could have gotten probably a second for him easily. And as a general manager who has a vision was a plan for things you take advantage of that you say holy crap we brought this guy here out of nothing out of sheer desperation and look he's flying it's like why on earth would you want to even think about re-signing a 36 year old guy to come play on this team why on earth would you want to even think about that it doesn't make any sense forget about the whole youth development and all that it doesn't fit into that whatsoever but it just doesn't make any sense and the Canadians like they usually do because they have nothing else to do they just sit there and they wait for things to happen and usually the bad things happen so that was last night so we wake up today and we start the trade deadline uh, frenzy the bonanza of trade deadlines excuse me a second while I roll a cigarette and uh I figured today the most Bergevin would do, in my opinion, the most he would do is probably get rid of Thompson. I figured that would be like the first one. 
probably Cousins, all those fringe players that he brought here. Because he, And the reason that I say that, because he does the same thing every year. Like I said five minutes ago, it's not that complicated. People are people of, uh, what are the, what's it called, you know, creatures of habit. All of us, even the ones that think that we're not. Yeah, if people are looking at you, you know, intently for a while, they're going to notice patterns in the way you speak, things you do, how you react, how you deal with situations. And with Mark Bridgman, it was kind of obvious. Yeah, get rid of Cousins. My, my thought was we'll probably get like a fourth for Cousins, a, a fifth or a sixth for Thompson. It's like, it's like uh, maybe I'll give it a wheel. Maybe, you know, whatever. Get somebody. That was my, my, my initial thought, you know. Because I knew deep down that I wouldn't... There was no way Mark Bridgman was making the big step. He wasn't getting rid of Petrie and Tatar and all that stuff. So... Trade deadline starts and players are moving left and right. I mean, for ridiculous returns. Absolutely ridiculous returns. General managers are showing their true colors. Ken Holland in Edmonton has that that city excited like they, it hasn't been excited since probably the Messier days. After Gretzky left, after Gretzky left that year, two years that Messier was still there, probably since then. That the city has felt this kind of thing, you know, where they realize not only do we add a few good pieces, but we have the core to actually make those pieces pay off. You know, the opposite of Montreal. Montreal here is just uh, round holes, square pegs, square pegs, round holes. So Ken Holland, everybody was kind of waiting to see, you know, because uh, last night on Twitter, uh, there was a report from Detroit that uh, Athanasiu and, uh, and Mike Green... Were, were being rested. They weren't playing. They weren't on the ice. So it was obvious they were going to be moved. And they both ended up in Edmonton. And those are terrific pickups by Ken Holland. Mike Green is not the greatest defenseman, but he's been around. He can skate. He's really, he knows how to create with the puck. Really good on the, pow- on the point in the power play. His weakness is he, tend- he, tend- he tends to get lethargic sometimes, a little lazy, and it catches up on him. And Athanasiu, oh my lord, just the thought of Athanasiu playing with McDavid and Dreisaitl. Right now, I think the Edmonton Oilers penalty kill is probably the most dangerous thing in hockey. Because teams who are on the power play tend to kind of, you know, take the foot off the pedal a little bit in terms of intensity. And you have two guys like that just waiting to pounce on a loose puck. Oh my lord, Edmonton's going to have fun. Those fans now are going to have fun for a long time. So the trade deadline started like that, and there were there were there were moves, big moves, not massive, massive moves, but there were definitely moves being made today. Thanasio, in my opinion, was the biggest one in terms of impact. What that guy is actually gonna do with that core. But there were other moves being made. Some sideways. Uh, I think Carolina had a hell of a of a of a trade deadline. They ended up picking up some really good pieces with those injuries that they have. They got Trocek. I think they got Vettanen from uh, from New Jersey. The Rangers ended up getting another first rounder. Teams just kept improving themselves on this day. Except No Gloria. No Gloria. Oh, no Gloria. Today from No Glory, yeah, we ended up with a late third for Kovalchuk, a fourth for Cousins, 
fifth for Thompson, and a seventh for Pekka. Mike Pekka came and went. Played about 15, 15 good games. Never saw him again. Was playing in Hamilton this year. Wasn't playing very well in Hamilton either. And that was the extent of the Montreal Canadiens trade deadline. Now, like anything else in life, if you take one event out of context, it means nothing. It's just what it is. But within the context of the reality of the Montreal Canadiens, where they are, where they're they're where they've been and where they're heading, today was a massive day for the Montreal Canadiens organization. This draft coming up, being held in Montreal. The number one pick in the draft is, without a question, Alexis Lafreniere. Absolute stud. Most uh, most analysts and uh, and hockey uh, scouts they define him, they describe him as uh, the perfect hockey player because he's big, he can create, he can finish, and he plays with intensity. Alexis Lafreniere, the Canadians, Mark Bergevin, Jeff Molson, and I'm pretty sure Mark Bergevin and Jeff Molson are eye to eye in this freaking nonsense. They decided that instead of doing everything they possibly can to make a legitimate, to show their fans that they're making a legitimate attempt to land this kid, to land this superstar. Draft being held in Montreal, reminder. The Canadians did literally the opposite. They decided that this core, this team that has missed the playoffs three years in a row, this team that was literally first week of January, second week of January, they're pretty much out of the playoffs. This team, this core, with uh, Tatar and uh, Petrie uh, free agents next year. Let me repeat that. With Tatar and Petrie as free agents next year. Within the reality of the ridiculous uh, returns that were being handed out uh, during the NHL trade deadline the day before, the week before. Jeff Molson and Mark Bergerman decided that this team and this score is what we're doing. That's what we're going to do for next year. We're going to try one more time. One more kick at the can. And a lot of people, especially media people who understand not just the day-to-day uh, you know, minutia of uh, NHL, but they kind of understand when big opportunities uh, present themselves. They realize that today, Mark Bergman absolutely shit the bed. Personally, I, I don't think he shit the bed because I don't think he knows how to do anything else besides that. I think he just knows how to do like really simple, simple things because he's not a very complicated person. And um, I think when media kind of realized what was happening and that he wasn't taking the chance, he wasn't doing what he had to do to help this organization for the future. He was, he's kind of stuck in his own little, well, I brought these guys here, you know, I brought a Weber for, uh, for Subban and I got Joanne for, uh, for Sergachev and, uh, you know, I got a, 
maintain my, I got Domi for Galchenyuk and, uh, you know, I got the tar for, for Pacioretty. So I've made all these moves with the old guys that used to be here. So I gotta, you know, I gotta show people that would, they said, what the hell, dude, what the fuck are you doing? What the fuck are you doing? And, and I think we're, we're, we're kind of lucky that Brian Wilde is, uh, is working in Montreal and he's more of an Oilers fan than a Habs fan. So he has a, a little bit of an outside perspective still about this team. And today he just kind of lost it. I mean, he was having, he was having none of it. And if you don't mind, I'm going to take a couple of seconds and read, read some of it. It's really well written. And I think a lot of Habs fans should read it. I'm scrolling down my feed now, my Twitter feed, to see where 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 it is. Okay. So this is it. Call of the Wild. Mark Bergman takes a left turn on NHL trade deadline. It's not that Mark Bergman doesn't win trades. It's that he doesn't know how to build a team. Winning trades doesn't get you to the playoffs. Building a team gets you to the playoffs. Making four seasons in the last five that the Montreal Canadiens will miss the postseason. Bergevin has had only two playoffs winners his last five years at the helm. He's finished eighth season as a Habs GM. But hey, he got a second round draft pick for Marcus Candela when he only invested a fourth. He got a third rounder for Kovalchuk when no one else wanted him. He got a fifth round pick for Nate Thompson. And he got a fourth for Nick Cousins. Maybe Trevor Timmons can get Connor McDavid with one of those picks. So yeah, it was one of those tones. Prices are set too high when he's a buyer. Prices are too low when he's a seller. Mark Bergman seems to win the hour, but never the day. He makes us all assess him for individual work, but not assess the overall body of that work. It's easy to remember the reaction to Merkel Sergeyev for Jonathan Duane when it happened three years ago. P.S. I hated that fucking trade so the moment that I heard it. I remember I was at work. I was working at a building downtown, and uh, one of my friends there, he goes, hey, puppy. He was a Greek guy. He goes, what did you hear? I went, what the fuck are you talking about? What, what happened? He goes, they, they, they got joy. I went, what? They got what now? He goes, they got joy. And as soon as I heard that they got joy, the first thought in my head was, who the fuck they gave up for him? And he, he didn't know all the names of all the players, you know, but so he kind of looked it up on his phone and he kind of shows it to me. And my reaction is pretty much my, what my reaction has been for the last four years, like uh, facepalm, you know, that... That, uh, that meme of a facepalm guy, you know, that's what it was. And I'm going to like, dude, they traded Sergachev. He's the only guy we have in the system on defense. We got nobody else. That's it. That's the whole, that's the whole system. It's him. That's it. That's it. So I kind of realized things are not going to play out well with that. Anyways, so that was my view on that trade a long time ago. And that trade has, has cost this team massively, massively. A lot of French media won't bring it up. A lot of them, I think, secretly, they're kind of waiting for Joanne to kind of wake up and do something, get 60, 70 points one year, do something, get 30 goals, do something for us to kind of still be able to back you, you know? Because the way it's shaping up, we traded a possible Norris Trophy defenseman for a winger who shows up whenever the hell he wants to show up. Don't talk to him too loud because you might scare him. I mean, I don't know what the hell it is, but hopefully, knock on wood, something happened. But that trade set this organization back. Four years later, three years later, they're still they're still rebuilding the freaking defense. He's still picking pieces left and right. Anyways, let's go back to the Brian Wall column. 
It's easy to remember the reaction to Michael Sergachev or Jonathan Joanne when it happened three years ago. There was excitement in the air that such a terrific talent like Joanne was coming to town. Side note, uh, Jack Todd uh, labeled uh, Joanne the, the second coming of Guido Fleur. Yeah, this, this media in the city is absolutely insane. It's absolutely, it's like, uh, anyways, back to the, to, the, to the article. There was excitement in the air that such a terrific talent like Joanne was coming to town. But here's the thing. He traded a left defenseman away and he's still looking for a replacement. You can't try to win a trade and then lose as a hockey team because you have to. Without Sergachev, bring in an aging Mark Stride, an injury-prone David Shalemko, a couple of Czech hopefuls, and a partridge in a pear tree. You are going to need a strong player at left defense to be a hockey team. Another example is Lars Zeller, another guy that I saw that one coming too. We mentioned Michelle Vuitton, and I said, like, oh, dude, Lars Zeller's going to get traded soon. Yeah, he's not being used. He, he went from being your second, third center to fourth-line winger to barely not being played. And in the moment that Michel Therrien, uh, during his uh, one of his post-game uh, pressers, said, uh, you know, uh, they asked him, hey, listen, Eller uh, uh, scored two goals today. Why didn't you help him? Why didn't you give him a shootout, a shootout uh, attempt there? You know, well, you know, the talent, you got to fucking morons. Anyways. Back to Lars Eller. Another example is Lars Eller. In my opinion, the best third line center in hockey today. Anyways, another example is Lars Eller. Again, in the moment, the reaction was that it was not a bad trade for Bergman. Nothing to get too upset about. Eller was not popular in town, and he was traded for two second-round draft choices. Not too much consternation, except that Bergman didn't have a center to replace him. He didn't find in the trade, but he forgot that he needs to build the team. The half measure to make up for the circuit of trade was a roulette wheel of incapable left side defenders. The half measure for the elder deal was to transform Jouin, who was a winger, to center. That produced the fourth worst record in the NHL that year. Uh, that's not solely on Jouin, of course. When trading away elder, Bridgman also neglected to notice that Thomas Placanic was losing the battle to age. An NHL team is built through the middle. It's not wise to trade away a potential first-pairing defender for a winger. It's not wise to make a winger play center. It's not wise to trade away a center without a replacement for him. It's not wise to trade away a potential first-pair defender without a replacement for him. But hey, he wins a lot of trades. This brings us to this moment. The trade deadline has passed, and he has not traded Thomas Tatar or Jeff Petrie. They are assets under contract only until the end of next season. Then they are free to go anywhere they choose. Again, he didn't choose to build a team. He could have had two first-round draft choices and two top prospects who could become the elite players of tomorrow. They would have been seven-year assets. They could have been the future. Instead, he makes his worst trade yet. He chooses to trade in 2022 to the year 2029, that seven, eight-year period, for one season of trying to make the playoffs with Thomas Tatar and Jeff Petrie. He made a trade of seven years for one year. So that was the Brian Walls article. Really well written. And I think he's had enough. You know, He got a little bit of heat on uh, Twitter because uh, he was getting a little bit aggressive with uh, the insults. Not in terms of being mean, but just the words he was using. They're kind of funny words like nincompoop and stuff from the 50s. You know, that's kind of funny. He told me that his, his dad used to say one of those words, so that's why he always uses it. But I think somebody complained, and, you know, Twitter, one person gets offended. Uh, everybody has to stop uh, in their tracks here. So that was the that was a trade deadline, 2020 version of Mark Bridgman. And then 
after all this nonsense of not really doing anything, you know, got rid of Thompson, got rid of Cousins, got rid of Pekka, got rid of uh, who else we get rid of? I think that was it. And Kovacud for four draft picks and some kid that's never going to be here. After all that nonsense uh, ended, and a lot of fans realized, oh my God, he's done nothing to help this team, past, present, or future. Nothing. He's done. He's doing absolutely nothing. Absolutely nothing. After the after this thing, but the famous Mark Bergevin pressure became began, and in this one, folks, I'm gonna have to take a couple of seconds to kind of uh, get my things together. This one was one for the ages, the Mark Bergevin presser of the ages. Now I don't know if you're into politics or or not. Uh, a few months ago, uh, Mulvaney gave a presser that pretty much uh, nailed Trumps on his ass and caused his impeachment. Not his removal, but his impeachment. Well, that presser that Mulvaney gave was nowhere near as bad as uh, Mark Bergevin's presser. And uh, after a couple of seconds, let me catch a breath and maybe get a coffee. I want to talk about uh, the Mark Bergevin disaster presser. Yeah, be right back. Mark, uh, here in the middle. Um... Ilya was saying that uh, that you apparently got offers from teams other than the Capitals that were, in his words, better than the ones that you accepted. And so I was wondering what are the considerations that you uh, undertook to uh, yeah. to go that route yeah. uh, to, to accommodate Well, his, I mean, the, I said in French, but I always say in English. So obviously we had a third from Washington. Now, possibly that I wait another day, then maybe, when I say maybe, there was conversation, there were talk that possible may be better, but maybe not. And if it's a maybe not and you walk away from something you have for sure, then the next day maybe you don't get as good. Maybe that team is gone. And on top of that, keeping Kovi in the mix as far as let him know what was going on, that was a place he really didn't want to go. So I, I thought it was a win situation for, for Kovi and, and for us. Question is in a seller's market uh, with reported interest in assets of yours like Jeff Petrie, Thomas Tatar. Uh, how close did you come to considering moving either one of them for futures? Well, futures, I'm, I'm not going to talk just about, you mentioned these guys, but I'm not putting these guys in the conversation. I'm talking general. Uh, we still need and feel that we are right now still com competing, okay? Uh, the guys that we have moved, uh, at most of the time, they were either on the fourth line and some beginning out in the lineup. They were useful part, but I have to look at the short term and long term and bringing Jake in, and there'll be other guys coming up. I think it helps us. Again, I have to look as a general manager at the big pictures, not only at what's going on now, but our core hasn't changed. And the guys I feel that will help us keep fighting for a playoff spot and moving forward next year are still on the team. Yeah, a couple of questions for you, Mark. The first one is kind of an extension of that last one. Why is it important? Why was it important to you to keep those two guys specifically, Tatar and Petrie, not just for this year but moving forward? Well, I mean, they're, they're good players. I mean, just to train for draft picks when you know you have another year with them, it made no sense. We need to be, we need to keep fighting where we are today. And next year, you know, we intend to put a good team on the ice. And those parts, these guys are good players for us. Okay, my other question for you is every year you've you've mentioned how there's kind of five top teams at the top and then there's a cluster of teams. What is your vision for
for the future that will enable you to get your team into that mix of teams at the top as opposed to consistently being in the cluster that yeah well it, so if you look at teams now that you could say the elite teams and you could pick the one you think they are i know the one i i know they're built to the draft so that's what we're doing that's what we'll keep doing so uh there's no secret recipe uh you know like for example a nick suzuki it's becoming a very good hockey player and i think you know we gave a lot to get him but we're sure happy and we think he's going to be here for a long time so that's what we need to do and these guys that need to grow together and become you know good players and it's going to take time but i mean i know we're on the right track so sorry just to follow yeah. on that, Go ahead. do you have a vision for how much time it will I take? I don't have any, no. And I, given I, that you just talked about keeping Tatar and Petrie and not giving them up for draft picks because they're they're important, did, well, are, you you missing, an, are you missing an opportunity well, to get there quicker building through the draft? Again, we need to put a good team on the ice next year. Okay? So uh, if, if we don't make the playoff, and we win the lottery, we're, we're already ahead of the game. But that it could go for anybody. So that's one way to do it. But I don't have a way to control the lottery. <laughs>
That's what, in essence, Engels was asking him, not in so many words, because he's not going to monopolize the, the conversation. But that's what he was asking him. And, and Bergevin replied with, uh, he replied, in my opinion, the one thing, the nugget, that most Habs fans, especially media people, have to pay attention. Because media people, they like to kind of create their own narrative in their head. And they don't listen to the people talking when they're talking. Mark Bergevin told you why this organization is stuck in Mediocreville. He, he didn't say this is the reason why we're not very good. And this is the reason why we're not going to be very good for a long time. But he pretty much told you the cement that's being used to create this foundation with a whole bunch of holes in it. And that cement is, Mar- is Jeff Molson. Mark Bergevin told you, quote, we need to put a good team on the ice next year. Who would say that? Who who would say that? In a, in a in within the reality of missing the playoffs four years out of five, pretty much everybody with a with a functioning brain knows the team's not very good. They're barely good enough to compete. So who would say that? Why would they use those words? Because those words are in order, my friends. Jeff Molson. Jeff Molson said it a couple of years ago when he was asked face to face, "It's time for a rebuild." He said, "No, we cannot do a rebuild in Montreal. Fans will not accept it." I don't have the audio for that. I'm sure somebody has the audio for that. But what Mark Bergman is saying here is literally that we need to put a good team on the ice next year. So you have to understand. I think where Mark Bergman, where a big part of his decision making comes from. It comes from that you're not getting rid of Price. You're not trading Weber. So if you're not getting tra- rid of Price and trading Weber, what's the point of getting rid of Petrie and Tatar? You know, you just you're gonna try to compete with these guys anyway, so you might as well keep them around. It is a disaster, but it's a disaster that's made from on top. It's Jeff Molson's disaster. He's created this mess because he, the vision that he's given for his general manager, the objective that he's given to the general manager, the task at hand that he's given to the general manager is not win a championship. The task at hand is try to be as good as you can next year, okay? Okay, Mark? Try to be as good as you can next year because I don't know why. Something might happen. What's going to happen? The team sucks anyways. And this this is how how, how big of a disaster it's, it's, it's become where... They're trying to do everything at once and accomplishing nothing. They're not fielding a good team that is competitive enough to even compete for a playoff spot. And they're not building through the draft. All this nonsense of building through the draft that that Mark Bergevin literally contradicted himself in like, you know, four different ways in like two and a half minutes there. Build through the draft. Dude, the last hockey game the Canadians played, they had three players on the ice that they drafted. That Gallagher, Price, and Lickin it. That was it. Mete was hurt, so he's not playing anymore. And Mete right now, let's be honest, he's a fringe NHLer. Once the Canadians have an upgrade in that bottom kind of pairing, Mete is probably going to Laval. He's too small, and he's got no offense to his game. So it's a deadly combination. Yeah, he can skate, but he's too small. He can't go in the corners, and he can't create offense. So it's just it's it's a positional D-man who's really small that can skate. That's who you have. And when you have that, you might as well get a bigger guy who's a little less of a good skater, but you know, at least could throw the body around a little bit. 
so Mete is, is really a fringe, fringe NHLer. He's, the only reason he's playing here, let's be honest, is because the team is kind of limited on defense. Since they made a Sergeyev trade, they've been kind of looking for Weber's partner. Forget about looking for Weber's partner. Try to find a number one D-man because Weber ain't it. So you're looking for Weber's partner, Weber's partner. Let's be honest about it. If Weber was such a great number one D-man, the partner would be kind of oblivious. It doesn't really matter, does it? He'd, he'd make that guy look good, whoever it is. But that's not the case. So I don't want to get into the Weber conversation. I mean, knock on wood, the guy came back. Thank God. That's good. Nobody asked him at the press conference. In the omissions today at the press conference. I mean, absolute insanity. It felt like we were all watching a cult uh, revival. Like the cult leader was there and the members of the club were kind of asking him questions about the year coming up. We're going on a field trip. Where's the field trip going? That's what it felt like. If you remove the English element today of the, of the press conference, that's what it would have been. It would have been a complete cult revival. That's the energy that it had. You had people asking ridiculous questions. Every time somebody asked a little bit of a tough question, they started laughing and giggling with each other like a little cult, you know? Thank God the English guys were there to kind of balance things out a little bit. And, uh, you know, building through the draft. Building through the draft, dude. You have a chance. This draft is one of the deepest drafts in the last decade. That's how deep it is. There's at least four or five kids who are going to be drafted in the first round. They're going to play in the NHL next year. That's how good these kids are. Mark Bergman could easily had three, four, three, easily three number ones. Three number ones easily. They came knocking on his door for, for Domi. He said no to that. There's a number one. Tatar, no to that. There's a number one. Petrie, no to that. There's a number one. You add that to your own number ones. You got four number one picks in one draft. In a deep, deep draft. Literally within three years, those kids are all playing on your team. You've gone from Petrie and Tatar and this guy and that guy to four incredible kids with Suzuki. With potentially Kokaniemi coming up also. If, he's good, if, he's, if he improves in two, three years. And I think he will. And you have Romanov coming up too. And you have that. You have you have something for the people, the fans to look at and say, yeah, I can see the train going now. Now I know it's going. I can see it going. Now there's nothing. It's just random pieces trying to cobble together a team that might, like, like Eric Engel said, like it might get over the cluster of teams. I'm, it's just nonsense. Absolute nonsense. He, he even admitted in the same press conference that uh, he had a better offer for Kovalchuk. And he played it off like as a PR thing. Well, you know, it's better to have a relationship with Kovalchuk than to actually get a better player for our hockey team. That's how it came across. So people on Twitter are listening to this and going, oh my God, what's going on here? And those clowns from the night before, uh, Arpen Basu and Francois Gagnon, who had jumped on, oh, the classy Canadian's got a, you know, a third rounder for Kovalchuk. like, Dude, what are you talking about? What the hell are you talking about? The guy's just admitted that he had better offers for it. And he said, no, I'm going to play Kate Kovalchuk for some freaking reason. Because he was here in two months and he excited Jeff Molson or something. I don't know. I don't know what the reason is. But that's the, he even smiled at the press conference when he said it. Like, yeah, I did a good job. What the hell are you talking about? Dude, your, your, your job is to improve the team. It's not to give Kovalchuk a chance for a Stanley Cup. That's not your job. Your job to give a, a, a Kovacek a, a chance for the Stanley Cup was here in Montreal when you, when you picked him up. That was your chance to give him a chance, you know, for the Stanley Cup. It doesn't continue to the next team. They were stuck in this nonsense. Absolute nonsense. So fans on Twitter were uh, 
let's let's just say they were they were pissed i mean people that are usually really polite and always see the nice way of things and and there's a positive thing around the corner and you never know i like this kid anyways he might turn out good even these people are kind of saying ooh what's that smell again yes that's okay can you smell what the the rock is cooking yeah, it's not pleasant it's not a barbecue it's a freaking wake, man. It's a funeral. The Montreal Canadiens funeral wake. That's what it feels like, you know. But it's a slow death. You know, it's a, it's a never-ending death. It's close to death, but it's never-ending. It just it continues every year. <laughs> a little bit more. A little bit more. Every single year, same shit. So that was uh, Mark Bergevin's uh, disaster presser. And those were just a few minutes. There was even worse stuff. And kind of lost energy halfway through he made a joke about something one of the funniest thing was uh i don't remember who it was that i think it was Stu cowan that asked him i'm not i'm not really sure who it was that asked him and uh they asked him the obvious question you know if this team that you have now the core that you keep talking about that you're going to bring back and uh, you know we don't want to ruin it because we have to be competitive if this core that you have is nowhere near enough good enough to even Dude, they're, they're 13th in their conference. There's 12 teams better than them in their conference. I'm not even talking about the other conference. In their own freaking conference, there's 12 teams better than them. And this clown's saying everybody, yeah, but this is the core that we're going we're gonna to try to compete with. So I, I don't know who it was, somebody that asked him, so how are you going to come back with the same team that can get you to the playoffs to compete for a playoff spot? And then Mark Bergevin went on this most ridiculous tangent that I've ever heard in my life. He started talking about, well, we have to be better at home. The Canadians, like I've said many times in this podcast, have one of the worst home records in hockey. And one of the reasons they have one of the worst home records in hockey is because they don't have character guys. They don't have the guys that can deal with the pressure of playing in Montreal. It's not an easy thing to play in Montreal. So when you have those guys that have the ability to play within this uh, pressure cooker, they don't get rid of them. It's like Mark Bergman came here and everybody that was here, all the players that were here, they kind of smelled to him. Ah, this guy's not good. This guy's not good. This guy's not good. Slowly, 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 we got to the point where he's got his own core now. And they're absolute garbage. Various degrees of garbage. So, the reporter asked him, so how are you going to, you know, this core, how this team going to be better next year? So he went about the, we have to be better at home. And then he started talking about the Boston Bruins. How uh, this year the Canadians, uh, they played one good game in Boston. And it, it gave him the kind of hope that, you know, why can't this team play like this in most games? Nobody mentioned the fact that they've lost four games to the Detroit Red Wings this year, right? In the press conference. No, nobody mentioned the fact that one of the worst teams in the history of hockey, Detroit Red Wings of 2019-2020, beat the Montreal Canadiens four times this year. Every single time they played them, they beat them. Four times. You lost four times to one of the worst teams in the history of hockey. And this guy's talking about a Boston game that they played. where They, they didn't look bad. I think they lost in overtime that game. I'm not really sure what the score was. So I don't think it was overtime. I think it was like 4-1 or something, if I remember correctly. Yeah, I think it was a 3-1 game with an empty netter. And I think he's, he's, he's pointed to that game. That, gave him, that game gave, gave him hope. And he said, if we could play like that, that game, why can't we play like that at home? And people on Twitter 
we're kind of losing it. They're gonna, what the hell is this guy talking about? This is mad delusions here this guy's talking about. And I think what it all comes down to is everybody in this organization is confused. Nobody knows what the fuck they're doing because the, the guy upstairs has no idea what he's doing. He doesn't realize that in order to build that sustained success, to, to Jeff Molson, the marketing guy, these are just fancy words. He heard some other owner say it at another press conference, so he adapted it. We're going for that sustained success thing. He, he, but he doesn't take a step back to realize, how do you get there? You don't get there like this. You, you don't get there by trying to do everything at once. Nobody gets there like that. So he hasn't, he hasn't made that. He hasn't had that conversation with himself yet. Or if he has, he's just completely eliminated in his head. Because I think the Montreal Canadiens are stuck with that fallacy that we have to be as good as we can. Or the Montreal Canadiens fans, because the Montreal Canadiens deserve us as good as... Dude, you suck now! <coughs> Excuse me. Half a decade of suckingness. What are you scared of? Are you going to be worse? Worse than what? You have one of the worst home records in the history of the franchise. How could you possibly be worse? So a lot of people were kind of saying, okay, dude, all the cards are lining up. The team is horrible. They've been horrible for a while. So maybe the signs are there for Molson to realize, okay, it doesn't really matter what the hell we're doing. We're bad anyways. We might as well blow this shit up. No. They double down, triple down, quadruple down. 2.0, 3.0, 4.0, reset, retool, re, re, uh, reassess, re, re, restructure, reformat. Re. Oh my freaking lord. I don't want to use the other reword because I promised myself I would never use it. But it's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. They treat the fans like we're freaking morons, dude. Absolute morons. Oh my God! So you favor Jeff Molson? Okay, you know the signs are there. You know, there you go. It's there for you. No. So now, what are the Canadians going to do now? Where are they heading now? I think we all know where they're heading. They're heading exactly where they were this year. Same place. And instead of Thompson and Cousins and I don't know who else got traded today. He'll find some other fringe guys during the offseason to pick up. You know, some cousins type. You know, pay him a million dollars. The trade deadline, he'll trade him for like a fourth rounder. He'll do the, he'll do the exact same thing. Because the Canadians don't have a, a deep uh, prospect pool. That's a problem. They have a couple of kids uh, they're waiting for. And Caulfield and, uh, and Romanov. Everybody else to me, every other name that you mentioned to me is just a prospect. That's all they are. They're just a long-term project. That's what they... Romanov and Caulfield, you could say, okay, these guys are NHLers. They, they might need a better fit in, in the city within this team. They might, they might need better players around them to be really effective. But at least they're NHLers. They have NHL talent. The other guys, I'm not sure about. When we get there, when we get here, we'll see them. Everybody was uh, super excited about Josh Brook now, too, you know, and... He's like the sixth defenseman in uh, Laval. So it's all calmed down with the prospects thing. And we have nobody else. That's it. That's, that's who we have. And whoever we get this year. The way the Canadians are going this year, they're going to finish between 7th and 10th. Worst. So they'll have a, a pick between 7th and 10th. They have a chance to win the whole damn thing. And get a lottery. I doubt it. With this guy's luck, with this guy's karma, he's lied so much. He's, so, he's thrown so much bullshit into the, into the, into the ethos that all this crap is coming back to him and we're probably gonna 
finish seventh and end up drafting tenth. I don't know. I don't even know if that's possible. I don't know how many teams get into the lottery. I, I completely forgot to be honest. But it has that energy about it. Like everything's gonna be bad. So I don't want to get into. I don't want to get lost in this negativity. So let's talk about what what the actual uh, picture is of the Montreal Canadiens for next year. We're all going to have to uh, cross our fingers and hope and pray that uh, Jonathan Juwen uh, decides to uh, play hockey or decides to be the hockey player that he is. I think we all have a feeling deep in our guts that we know exactly who he is. It's just going to be this. This going to be flashes of uh, two, three weeks of good hockey play. You know, wow, Jonathan, he's going to disappear for a while. And then if something bad happens, he's going to disappear for a little bit longer. And then it's going to take him a longer time to get back. It's always going to be the same thing. He's a 20-goal scorer in the NHL. That's what he is. Our defense got rid of Scandella. Scandella, by the way, got picked up by the Blues. Yeah, he's having a hell of a time there. I think he's plus six already. He, dude, last game I was checking out the St. Louis Blues uh, box score. Guess who was uh, the number one D man playing with the most time on ice? Uh, Marco Scandella. Yeah, he was the sixth, number six over here. Dude, this organization is a disaster. It's a disaster because they don't know what they're doing. And by that, I don't mean they're all incompetent. They have no fucking clue what's going on. I mean, they just don't know what their vision is. They don't know what the, they don't know what it is that they're trying to do. They don't know what it is. Molson uh, mutters these ridiculous words, sustained, uh, what's it called? Sustained success, you know, consistent success. What, else? what the fuck are you talking about, dude? The only thing you've created in your environment here, and everything everything falls on the top. The only thing he's created in his environment here is sustained mediocrity. Various degrees of mediocrity. And that's it. There's nothing else in this team. We're all going to hope and pray that uh, some of these kids work out. And uh, those people that are thinking that Mark Bergevin is going somewhere, he's not going anywhere, dude. We have the most chicken shit owner in the history of this franchise, in, in Jeff Molson. The only thing this guy knows is marketing, and he's scared to death of everything. He's scared of any pressure that might come his way. Any negative thing that might come. That's why he abdicated the team to to, to uh, Mark Bergevin. He literally said, here you go, Mark. It's all yours. Yeah, hey, don't worry about it. I mean, I'm even going to name myself president to make sure that there's nobody there who will contradict you or criticize you from the organization. You got it, dude. It's all yours. And here we are. Heading to year nine. Of nothingness. We have the Ottawa Senators that literally because they have the the most horrific owner, but they have a horrific owner in terms of economics. The guy has no money. He's an NHL owner who's uh, who's broke, who's cash broke. That team, they have three first round picks in this draft. <laughs> the New Jersey Devils, they have three first round picks in this draft. Yeah, those two teams in three years, I can't, they're going to dwarf the Montreal Canadiens. So that sustained success that uh, Jeff Molson was talking about, yeah, other guys are doing it because they understand how it's done. They're not trying to do everything at once. You know what I mean? If you come to the door and the door is closed, the first thing you're gonna do is you're gonna try to open the door. You're not gonna try to fit through your uh, through the little uh, keyhole. You're gonna put your hand on the handle, try to open it. And Jeff Molson's trying to do everything. He wants to vaporize through the door. Create a magical door. There you go. Brand new. The new door. The doors of perception. Oh, my Lord. 
So I'm kind of tailing off now. It's like two uh, two thirty in the morning. I've been talking for a good I don't know forty minutes, fifty minutes. I don't know if I've said anything. I don't know if I've said anything that that you guys listening haven't heard before. I'm sure you have. You're probably thinking the same things. I don't know what's going on, but I know it's not good. You know, it's all it's it's not good. It seems like a clown show. You know, confusion, ball of confusion, like Eric Engels was saying. Very confused. Everybody's confused. They're confused because they have no idea where they're going, and they have no idea how to get there. They want the Stanley Cup. Yeah, they want. The, everybody wants the Cup, but they don't want to get there. They don't want to do the things that you have to do to get there. You know what I mean? Montreal has created an atmosphere for itself here within the hockey circle. Very few players want to come here. I mean, think about it. You grew up in Saskatchewan. You grew up in Ontario. You grew up in Wisconsin. You know, I think the only shot we have with free agents are Europeans. You know, and there's a lot of them. Thank God, knock on wood. There's a lot of them. Instead of focusing on that, we don't even, fo- we don't even focus on that. You know, create a nice little thing. We we have Markov and Radulov here. We treat them like crap. And now he's playing this. Uh, look how good I was to Kovalchuk, a guy who was here for a freaking two months. It's one of the most insane things I've ever seen in my life. Dude, the guy was here for two months, and they bent over backwards to try to help him get to Washington. Not only that. They paid Washington. They gave him money. You know how much the Capitals paid to have uh, Kovalchuk help uh, Alex Ovechkin get his second Stanley Cup? You know how much money they paid? Besides that late third round that they're laughing about. Uh, just for the record, fourth round picks. Anything after the third round pick, I think it's like a, less than a 1% chance of making the NHL. Yeah. So you know what they paid the Washington Capitals? $75,000. They're renting Kovalchuk for $75,000. He'll play 20 games uh, to finish the season and then a nice playoff run. Knock on wood, he goes far. $75,000. And, and, and Mark Bergman is smiling like he did something good. Look at me, everybody. It's like a proud dog. He just took a dump for the first time. Look, look at me, everybody. Okay, I'm kind of losing it right now. Maybe I should continue with this losing tone. This kind of uh, just, uh, I don't know what you call it, a stream of consciousness kind of thing where I just kind of lose my thoughts and just say whatever the hell comes to my mind. I have about four minutes left of uh, recording time. I think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to go to Twitter for a second, see if I see anything there to talk about. Twitter, Twitter, where's my Twitter? Absolute insanity what the city has become. Craziness. So we're going to head into uh, the last 18 games of the year, I think, for the for the Habs. Let me just check the standings for a second. Let's see how many games they have left. They've played 64, so they have 18 games left. So we have 18 games left. Cousins is gone. Uh... Kovacic is gone. Thompson is gone. Pekka wasn't on this roster, so it makes no difference. <laughs> so those three guys are gone. The Canadians called up Jake Allen. Knock on wood. Really good pick. He's one of those rare, rare, very rare uh, late round picks that actually turns out to be a decent hockey player. 
and I like that kid. I like that kid from the first time that I saw him playing in college. And uh, not a great skater, but he's improved on that too. But he just he just understood the game. He's a great great hockey IQ. I wish uh, you know Jonathan Juin had like a five percent of that. Oh my lord, that guy! All the talent in the world, and the guy literally fifty-eight minutes of the sixty-minute game, he's stuck in his own head. You can see it on the ice. He's just playing his own game. He's you could you could almost hear his voice in his head. You know, he's he's I don't know, I don't know what the word is, but somebody has to slap him or something. Just tell him, Jonathan, just fucking relax, man. Just relax. Be a part of the team, have fun, and give everything you have on the ice. That's it. That's the only thing people want. They don't want you to uh, play the tough guy. They don't want you to drop the gloves. They don't want you to throw body checks around. Just be tougher. Be harder to, to take the puck away from. Fight a little bit more to take the puck. You know, don't only think of the the, the breakaway lane that you see ahead of you, and then you pull a thousand miles an hour, Jonathan Joyne. See that? Yeah, he saw that because he saw a fucking breakaway ahead of him. That's why he saw that. See the whole game. See the whole ice. Realize that uh, sometimes uh, in the shift, what you do defensively is way more important than what you do offensively because you might not be in the offensive zone. So you got to settle down in the, in the defensive zone. It's like every time Jonathan Jones on the ice, if he doesn't uh, get a chance to score, uh, he's sad. A sad puppy. Basically, what I'm saying is Jonathan Juan has to learn how to play hockey. Yeah, I don't know who the hell taught him in junior. You know, it's it's one thing in junior when you're playing against 16-year-olds and you can skate like Jonathan Juan. You can make a lot of things happen. You could freaking deke four guys and, you know. Now in the NHL, it's showing that uh, he's kind of limited offensively. Yeah, he's got great wheels, no doubt about it. One of the best skaters I've ever seen. His edge work is just absolutely insane. He has no shot. That's why he doesn't score. He has a snapshot within 15 feet. That's his shot. That's what he has. On the breakaway, deadly. On the breakaway, you don't need a shot on the breakaway. You can do many things. And the shot you're going to take is like within four or five feet. It's a snapshot. Usually top corner or hard between the legs. Outside of that zone, outside of that little circle there, that 15 feet circle, the goalie is, he's got nothing. He's got a very weak wrist shot. I've seen him on the, on the point in the power play. It's like, dude, what are you putting him on the point in the power play for? He can't one-time a shot, and he has no slap shots. What the fuck's the point of him doing being there? He's, gonna, he's a playmaker. No, he's not a playmaker. He makes a lot of bad decisions when he tries to pass the puck. He tries to force a lot of plays because he stops skating. Anyways, there's a lot of things with Jonathan Duen that he has to come over. He has to get over to become a, the player that he can be. I don't know if we're all going to wait for him or not, but... So that was, uh, kind of wrapping up now. That was, in essence, a trade deadline 2020 for the Montreal Canadiens. One of the worst ever because the, the opportunity was there for them to make a huge step forward, a real step, a, purple, a purposeful step, you know. But they chose to, uh, you know, gotta build a, put a good team on the ice for next year because Jeff Molson is scared. I don't know if what because the team still sucks. So it's like the guy has a philosophy that makes no sense. And here we are.
here we are. About 18 games left in the 2019-2020 season. The Canadians are most definitely not a playoff team. We're going to try to all hang tough for the remainder games, for the remainder of the games. We're, gonna, we're all going to pick our favorite teams in the playoffs to, uh, to follow. Usually in Montreal, it tends to correlate with uh, whichever player Mark Bridgman has traded recently. So I'm pretty sure uh, this uh, playoff series, uh, most Canadians fans are probably going to be Washington Capitals fans, cheering on Lars from Mars, and uh, Kovalchuk, the guy that Bridgman uh, did a favor for, for some reason. I don't know. So we got that to look forward to. When it all comes down to it, I think the word lost comes to mind. The organization seems lost. The owner is most definitely lost. He's lost in between not knowing what the hell to do and what he has to do and what should be done. What doesn't get done and status quo will never be and here we are status quo once again mark bergevin is lost he has no idea is, is he trading it for a team is he building a team through the draft is he what the hell is he doing i don't know 80 percent of the players on the team are not from the Montreal canadians i don't know what draft he's building from everything that seems lost Lost in confusion, most definitely lost in translation in the city. That's for fucking sure. Even the fans seem lost. It's like we're kind of. Do we still want to hang on? Yeah, we gotta hang on. We're fans. We through the thick and thin, through the blood and the glory, the good and the bad. But you know, if we're all gonna be lost. I think it's uh, it's a good thing that at least we're lost together. So I'm gonna finish this uh, this episode. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If anybody's listening, if you are, you guys are the champs. Whoever you are, let, send me a Twitter. Uh, let me know when uh, you guys hear this. Tell me if you uh, if you enjoyed it. If you didn't enjoy it, if you thought it sucked, it was boring, stupid, whatever. I don't care. I'm not easily offended. So, with that in mind, and uh, with this sad day over, looking forward to another new year of nothingness on the horizon, I'm going to play you guys out with um, a classic Blue Rodeo song. Underrated Canadian band, really good songwriters, singers, musicians, terrific. Never crossed over to the States, Man, probably a good thing. So I'm going to play you guys out with a great song. One of my favorite songs from them. Called Lost Together. If we are lost, then we are lost together. So thanks for listening, everybody. And uh, I'll catch you next time. See you later. Beautiful are the stars 